welcome to Give Him Hell Brigham. Who, boy, Jeff, do we have a show for our listeners tonight? Yes, we do. Um, I am looking at Ford Broncos again. It's been a couple of weeks. I still haven't been able to buy one, but rumor has it that uh, I'm going to be able to design and price my Bronco by the end of the month. So, I mean, we have a great show, but I got to be honest, I'm a little bit distracted by the idea of, oh, I'm going to be able to price out my Bronco here in a little bit. So I apologize if I seem distracted, but I think it's for good reason. The, I mean, you won't be able to price out many college football tickets this season, so you might as well jump into the Bronco. Well, I mean, all the money that I would save um, from flying around or buying gear or whatever, um, yeah, I can put towards a Bronco. So it makes sense. I mean, it's just taking advantage of what's there because, yeah, college football, man, what a brutal, brutal week for college football. But also, it's like one of the weirdest things. It was the worst week for college football at like a whole national level, maybe in the last hundred years, right? Full huge league shutting down entirely. Like that's crazy talk. But also at the exact same time, it's this paradox where I feel more excitement than I've ever felt because there are some leagues that are like, no, we're still playing. And it was like, oh, hell yeah, this is, we're back. Like, this is, this is day one all over again. It's, well, it's, it's all- the weirdest emotion that I'm feeling right now. Were you, were you on your mission for the 2007 football season? I was here for 2007. So that was, that, was, that was the chaos here, right? Like that was where it was like five or six weeks in a row, number two. Right. Lost. We had USF, who was less than like a decade <laughs> old, right? With Matt Grothy at quarterback, climbing the ranks to number two, whatever. Right. It's like the last three days feels like that entire season, all of those games crammed into like 24 hours. And I'm with you. It's like watching what is happening. And I mean, I've hated, hated how everything with COVID has been so politicized. But now I'm very intrigued by the football, like will football be played aspect of this. And I understand that that is like, oh, I'm, I won't, it won't be hypocritical of me because I don't mind when athletes use their platform to say things that are important to them, like good for them. If I had a big stage, I would use it too. But it's like the kind of flip-flopping has been interesting to see. I'm like, oh yes, this is so great that this governor is coming in and saving the day, but then they hate when other people get, like hate when sports get politicized when it's not the way they want to and the back and forth. It has been very entertaining. It, it has been, it has been fun Look, I don't get into the whole, you know, rivalry rules the world. I don't talk a lot of smack. I don't really care that Utah fans talk a lot of smack. I I really don't hate Utah the way that I'm probably supposed to hate Utah. I I genuinely don't care except for when, you know, as it pertains to BYU. I don't care about, about Utah. But it has been moderately entertaining over the last couple of weeks to watch them go from and really in the last 24 hours, it's even a more condensed roller coaster ride to watch them go from angry at Larry Scott, because what an idiot he should be playing after the PAC 12 comes out and cancels to then worried about, well, BYU is not going to play. And it's kind of like an acceptance. I feel like in their grieving process of fine. Okay. PAC 12 is not going to play, but BYU is not going to play either. None of these other teams are actually going to play. So this is fine only to hear that the Big 12 decides they are going to continue to go forward and they are going to try to play. And now BYU is continuing to go forward and trying to play to now it's gone full circle to 
those idiots at BYU, they shouldn't be playing. And it's been in like 24 hours that they've gone from mad at Larry Scott because how could he cancel the season to blindly accept his will at all costs and mock your rival, you know, and say that BYU shouldn't be playing. And it's been really interesting for me to just kind of watch that unfold. My heart goes out to our Utah friends. You, you know, we have a lot of Utah friends, really close friends who cheer for Utah. And I can, I can empathize with where they're at. I've got like five. Okay. Well, I have a lot and I, I can empathize with where they're at because a couple of weeks ago, it seemed like BYU season was done. I think we talked about it on the show last week that sure seems like football is going to be played, but I have no idea how BYU is going to play football. And that sucked. That was an empty feeling. And now for them to feel really with a little bit more finality, exactly what, what I was feeling last week, that sucks. My heart goes out to them, but man, what a ride it has been to get us to where we are today. And we're going to talk a ton about that later on. I mean, obviously, that is the story in college football right now. And yes. it's, it's unfolding before our very eyes, even as we speak. And we do have some of our normal things. And we're going to, honestly, we're going to blow through the normal things and get into what is going on at this. So we do, the, our Hellion of the Week, we do have, this was a nomination from Mike Polson, who is a good friend of the show. And he said his Hellion of the Week is uh, everyone fighting for the players who want to play this season since in this, in this era of player empowerment, suddenly a lot less people seem to care what their opinion is. So he nominated that, but then he also sent us a, another clip and nominated. So Mike gave us actually two nominations. Thank for the you, Dixie Mike. State, the Dixie State football team who I don't know where their coaches were at. They were somewhere down in St. George, and they saw someone was like bouldering or something. But somehow they saw someone who was repelling and was stuck on the side of a cliff. And by their they, hair. They were stuck by their hair. Their yes. hair was stuck in the cliff or, I don't know, I'm fat. I don't repel. I don't know how it works. But stuck in a carabiner, stuck in some, I don't know what it was stuck in. But this woman's hair was stuck and they were basically hanging from this mountain by their, I, I think they were holding onto the rope still and hold, able to hold their weight up. But it was their hair that they were basically hanging from. Like that was what was keeping them to this rope. Crazy. And the football team climbed down, saved her. Awesome story. Um, I mean, it's a story that should have been picked up, I think, by more outlets than it was picked up by because that's really cool. But, man, how awful would that be? By her hair hanging from a mountain. Oh, I I can't think of anything worse. Yeah, and I couldn't tell because it didn't look like they were in the middle. of Like it wasn't like they were in Zion. Like, right, in, like you know, there was a the, road underneath the mountain. Right. It was like in, it was like in Nacho Libre when he's like, how did you see <laughs> me? And he's like, I saw you from the village. And he's like 10 feet away. It was kind of one of those situations. So anyway, Hellion of the Week. Good job, Dixie State. Good job trying, hanging on to the last minute. They were one of the last like three FCS teams. I think North Dakota State is still trying to like, because I think the, what are they, the Missouri Valley Football Conference said, we're not doing conference play, but you can try to schedule as many games as you want to. We're going to do our conference games in the spring. So there's a couple of schools, but Dixie State, they were down to where BYU, and I think they maybe had one other game left on their schedule. So they held on to the bitter end. You know, they're trying to play. Good for them. Um, so quarantine kitchen, we're laying to rest. It has been a long time through this tumultuous quarantine. And now after last week when we discussed – the Miami Marlins and everything that is their awfulness. 
we are morphing this and kind of into the rant of the week, which Quarantine Kitchen kind of evolved into our rant of different kitchen-related topics. So we're just opening that up a bit, ex- expanding our opinionated horizons, if you will, to bigger rants. And Jeff... Quarantine Kitchen had a good run. It did. I mean, it, it really did. And I want to take a minute to pay respects to the original running part of the show that we had. That was the first thing that we did, even before Hellion of the Week. That was the first thing that we did that we said, hey, we're going to do this every week. So gotta, I feel like we got to pay respects to that. But also, Quarantine Kitchen is going to evolve into something bigger. Not necessarily on this show, but Quarantine Kitchen was the genesis of a conversation with some of our close friends and some people who we think are, are, are hilarious, they're smart, they're witty, and we are working on a new venture. You may have seen a little bit of a weekday tailgate floating around on Twitter. Um, we're working on that. Weekday tailgate's going to be a lot of food talk because that's what we are, but it's really kind of, I mean, how, how did you describe it? Garrett, it's it's the conversations that happen six hours before the game. So it's yes. it's everything that you would talk about at a tailgate. That could be food, that could be football, that could be politics, that could be the Miami Marlins ineptitude. It can be really everything. It could be technology. Right. It, we're really giving ourselves I mean, I don't know. So I do not write enough on the board. I'm the audio technic the audio technician of this operation. Jeff's you got like here. three or four articles this year. That's not bad. Yes, I, I need to write more. But Jeff is out here churning like 17 articles a day. And I don't <laughs> think people understand the grind that goes into churning all of those articles and getting stuff posted nonstop the way Jeff does. And really, it's, you know, it would be nice to open that up a little bit and say, you know, let's talk about some non-BYU things. And so this is, it's going to be separate. It's not going to be part of the 24-7 network. It will be, it's going to be hosted on Substack. So if you want to go to the website, it'll be like a blog. You can straight read or you can sign up and just, you'll get an email with the newsletter. Uh, Last week we had our interview with Matt Brown and he, you know, he is currently running his extra points newsletter through Substack. And so we got some ideas from him of how to do it right. And so we just want something to be fun. It'll be hit your inbox a couple times a week and it's going to be a fun thing that we get going here in the next little bit. It will be, it will be a good time. I'm really excited about it. Um, it does, man. There's, we, you know, we, we've never, we've never shied away from talking about whatever we want on this show. And I think that's great, but really I think people would be shocked at how much we wish we could talk about on this show that we don't. And so we're going to take that. If you only want BYU news, give them hell, Brigham. Cougar Sports Insider, that is still your place. But if you want uh, to peel back the onion that is Jeff Hansen and Garrett McClintock, weekday tailgate, really excited about it coming up. But I have a heck of a rant for rant of the week this week. And I think it's a rant that, I don't know, maybe, maybe some people are going to be offended by this because I'm describing you. But I also think it's a rant that will resonate with a lot of people. And there might be maybe a shred of hypocrisy and also maybe a shred of selfishness as I, as I rant this rant. But I think it's something that needs to be said, and I think that a lot of people are going to agree with me. And this rant is about insiders, but really 
the fake kind of insiders. Look, I'm going to be now. I, I recognize the, bla- the, the black cat insiders. Right, the black cat insiders. Look, I recognize the irony that I run a site called Cougar Sports Insider. I did not pick that name, and I will be the first person to tell you that when it comes to being an insider, I'm really not. I know people who are insiders, and I happen to 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 cover recruiting and I'm willing to go through the grind that is high school sports. That's what gives me the, I think the ability and the, I don't know, the, the, uh, the credence, I don't know, to write on Cougar sports insider, but I'm not an insider. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I know I can just knock up on Tom Homo's door and get information. That's not, that's not who I am. I don't have a ton of inside connections into the athletic department at BYU. I, I hear things, and the things that I am told I'm allowed to post, I post them. But what I want to rant about today is the people who don't have that. Specifically, there are people who will read information right off of our boards at Cougar Sports Insider. And then they will go to Cougar Board or to Twitter or to whatever, and they'll say, According to my sources, I'm hearing X, Y, and Z. Now, I don't, I mean, I don't want anybody to share information off of our board. It devalues our site. It pisses me off personally. But that's not what we're talking about, the just blatantly ripping off information. It's the blatantly ripping off information and then throwing the caveat of according to my sources as if you have sources. What? What is it, Garrett, that drives a person to have this just intrinsic need to be an insider when in reality they're paying $9.99 a month to read information from other people and passing it off as if that is a source? What is well, that? I, don't, I know for some of the people who are members of our site, because we have access and can see their email address, they are employed by actual newspapers and need articles to write. And so, there are that's some of those. They, and so they take some of that information and relay it to the public that way. And I'm happy. But, I'm happy that that is, a, is an outlet for you guys. And that's great. I'm not mad at you. This isn't a pounding our chest that we're so great. Because we can do, we can do this about anybody. We could, what, what is it about a West Virginia blogger that makes them want to feel like, oh, I have information people will feel like I'm an insider. What is it about the black cat insider who may have been an insider? I have no idea. Maybe it's somebody within the athletic department tweeting out anonymous injury news. I have no clue. Probably not. It's probably some dude who knows some dude who knows somebody else and they're getting fairly reliable information. And now it's, I'm an insider, black cat insider. What is that? Like just what drives that person to feel like they need to be an insider like that. I, I just, I've never really understood it. I haven't either. It's just people have this weird need for anonymous validation and it's, they need therapy is really what it boils down to. There are other emotional problems that need to be addressed that go beyond the scope of our show. It's very strange. I remember back in the old days of Total Blue Sports when, when Brandon Gurney and Tallow Steves were running it and Gurney was, you know, Gertie was churning out content like crazy. I remember following along, and those two were the insiders. I had no problem with that. 
I didn't ever refute them. I didn't want to tell them that they were wrong. Sometimes they got it wrong. Most of the time they got it right. I paid for access into their inside information. Never once did I feel in my heart, oh man, I, I've got some inside information here. So now I'm going to go and tell my dad that according to sources, such and such is going to happen. I just don't, I don't understand what, what drives that. So if this is you, I don't, I'm not even calling you out. I'm not even upset with you. If you are this person that feels like you take information off of Twitter, off of Cougar Sports, off of Cougar Board, off of anywhere, you take is, information. Is, is HBR Net still writing his thing, Cougar Sports? He line? was. I think he was done. Uh, I think he, he finished a couple of years ago, but he was not that long yeah. ago. He was still producing it. Because he was the but, OG BYU inside. That, he was. He, he was great. And so if you're one of those people that wants to take that information and then pass it off as if it's your own, of I'm hearing such and such and such. No, you're not. You're reading it from somebody else. Why? I'm not even upset with you. I just want to know what it is that drives you to do that. That's what I want to know. And that's the rant that I have. Like, one, I think it's weird. I wouldn't personally do it. Uh, I didn't start writing or covering anything about BYU until – I happened to know enough that people asked me to write and cover BYU. That was the, that was the gen. I, I did that's how some you wrote blogging well. because I enjoy writing. Yeah. I mean, that's what it was. I, I reached out to you. You didn't come knocking down on my door, but that's what I, I, I blogged because I thought blogging was fun, but it wasn't until somebody saw my blog, saw my Twitter and they said, Hey, this guy knows some stuff or whatever. I don't even know how that they asked me to come and write. And that was what started my, I'm not, it's not my career, but my adjacent career uh, into the BYU sports world. And I love it. I'm, I'm grateful for that opportunity. But I, if you're one of those people that just has got this need to be a an insider, help me out. Help me understand what it is that drives that need. There will be no judgment. There will be no hard feelings. If you've ripped off our information in the past, I just want to know. I just want to understand. You've got to stop me because I'll keep ranting because I'm starting to feel myself getting a little bit upset. We got, we got more rants coming in the show. So, all right, keep me keep me on track. We've missed you when you were gone, man. Like I just I could rant forever. And so now that we got the first rant out of the way and may quarantine kitchen rest in peace. Uh, practice is underway. We've got a few nuggets uh, that we want to kind of hit on. I think it's all of the reports are that it's obvious that Zach Wilson is QB one. And that's, we talked about that all off season long, you know, this was, he's finally, he's healthy. I think people underestimated the impact that the injury had on him last year. And he kind of, even though he was recovered heading into the season, he still lost a little zip on the ball and just thinks he wasn't quite feeling a hundred percent. That's good and taken care of. He is back now. Uh, he is, he's back. He's healthy. And it is very clearly his job. And he's been hooking up in practice with Cody Epps a lot from what we were hearing. So how does, I mean, what else have you heard with Epps? As, I think Epps, everyone, people bought into the modern day name and really expected him to come in day one and just show out. And we kind of told people, you know, temper expectations a little bit. He's still a freshman, but I think he is surprising people more than initially, maybe even the staff initially had planned on. Yeah, I don't think that a lot of people really knew the story of Cody Epps' recruitment. I think that there was a ton of hype because he was not expected to sign. He was 
projected to get more P5 offers between December and February, between the early signing period and National Signing Day. But he surprised everybody, pounced on the BYU offer early, came from a powerhouse program where he put up gaudy numbers. And so people, I think people have this thought that he's this borderline five-star receiver is going to come in and blow the doors off of everybody. And that's not. I mean, he is a three-star receiver. He had a super early offer from Oregon, and I don't believe that they recruited him all that all that hard toward down the stretch. And that was the only P5 offer he had. He would have had more. He did put up insane numbers at modern day, and he has the potential to be great at BYU. But he's not, you know, he, he he's not BYU's version of, you know, Julio Jones, right? I mean, he's not coming in and he's not going to be Jerry Judy at BYU. He is undersized. He doesn't have, you know, blazing 4-3 speed. He, he is a three-star recruit, a very good one with a, a ton of potential. So having said that, he has come in, and from what I have heard, he has come in and absolutely been impressive, which is great. He is living up to the hype that maybe was unfounded in the first place, So far, it sounds like that is what he has done. So I don't say, hey, he's not Jerry Judy. He he wasn't a five-star guy. Downplay him. I'm not saying that to be negative. I'm saying that was the reality of who Cody Epps was. But what he has done so far in the couple of weeks that he's been on campus has been impressive. And that is, I think, a big deal. Quick note on Zach Wilson. I think it's funny because everybody, I think, knows Zach is the guy. What I have found funny is I think that the BYU social media team kind of realized, oh, no, we've we posted nothing but Zach, you know, teasers. Zach has been in all of the pictures. Zach had the little graphics of his stats. We've put Zach on interviews. Ah, and then this week they've hurried and thrown out, like, in the last 24 hours, a bunch of Jaron Hall and Baylor Romney stuff to try to give that appearance that there's still a quarterback controversy. But I, I just don't think that there is, right? I, I think we all know that there's really not. Fair? I think that's fair. A um, couple of other nuggets. Chris Wilcox. This, I, I, don't, I don't think I've heard this talked about anywhere. I know we've talked about it on our boards. He still hasn't practiced. Now, I don't know why. I'm not going to pretend to know why. Maybe he's still hurt. Maybe he's just getting that senior treatment as he works his way back off of an injury. But look closely at everything you've seen on social media. Read the practice reports. And when somebody finally asks the coaches, I think we're going to learn that Chris Wilcox hasn't been playing. And that is probably not ideal. Chris Wilcox has been, by my count, by everybody's count, he's the one sure thing at corner. There's a lot of talent, but it all is behind Chris Wilcox. And if he's not practicing and we're August 12th on this recording. Ben Kirtle was reporting today that Hayden Livingston was running with the ones at corner. Yeah, last few and, days and so and, i mean which nothing wrong hayden is a fine player but he is not chris wilcox he's not anywhere he has never played corner before he was a quarterback in high school and he was a walk-on who was the third string safety last year so you remember when ty detmer started talking about him as a walk-on in his first press conference as offensive coordinator uh yes i thought it was hilarious that just kind of showed like how new BYU's offensive coordinator was signing day happens uh, recruits are signed and somebody asks the question of 
hey, Ty, is there anybody else you can talk about? And I think it's probably an irresponsible question from whoever that reporter was. But I think what they were looking for was, are there any other signees that could be in the pipeline? But even if there were, Ty couldn't have talked about them either. So kind of a stupid question. But Ty, because the rules were so new to him, was like, well, let me tell you about Hayden Livingston. And he, he got two or three sentences into his answer when Kalani's like, dude, you can't talk about him. He's like, oh, well, I don't know. And I, anyway, side, that's when I think of Hayden Livingston, that's what I think about. Like the guy could go out and win the Heisman as a cornerback. And I would still think of that moment with Ty Detmer in his intro press conference and not anything that Hayden has done on the field. And Hayden's a fine player. So I feel bad about that, but that's what I think of. Yeah. And I don't, no, it's I'm kind of concerned long term because Wilcox was supposed to play last season, and then it was late into camp when they finally came out and said, "Uh, didn't heal quite right. He, you know, we need him to redshirt." And so that's you know it. It's kind of weird that we're going on two seasons now with setbacks, and that's not that's not what you want to see for anyone, just on a personal health front, but especially for him heading into what should be his final year. Um, you know, it's. It's just not good, but at least, you know, while Wilcox is bang up, Gunner finally, it's it's bizarre to me that Gunner Romney is heading into his junior season. That feels so strange, but he is, he's finally healthy for the first time in his career and is kind of hoping, looking like he may be that receiver to take the step that we expect and need him to take to really kick the offense to where it needs to be. Yeah, and it's a big thing that he's back practicing in full today. He has... He's been battling with a hamstring injury. And if you guys remember, a hamstring injury is what kept him out of a bunch of his freshman season. He had a nagging little hamstring injury uh, at the start of camp this year, but he is officially back, which is huge, which is huge for the receiver group because, frankly, if Gunnar Romney is not ready to take that next step that everybody expects him and hopes he will take, the receiving group has a big question mark. They really need that number one guy. So for Gunner to be back, to be healthy, that is great. The last nugget that we'll talk about just real quickly is really just kind of the defensive backs as a whole. Jock Wilson, he's a junior college transfer coming in. He was supposed to play big minutes. Sounds like he has had knee surgery. He has had knee surgery. Doesn't just sound like it. He has. And I believe it was a meniscus tear, so he should be back, but he'll miss at least some of the season. And given you know where things are at with the season, that could be the entire season, who knows. But he will be back. What concerns me a little bit is Isaiah Heron is back, and yet Hayden Livingston is still taking reps. Jalen Vickers is back, but Hayden Livingston is still taking reps with the ones. Shimon Willis is back. Hayden Livingston still taking t- reps with the ones. D'Angelo Mandel, Keenan Ellis, they're back. And yet, Hayden Livingston is still taking reps with the ones. Now, it's possible that Hayden Livingston has just blown the doors off of everybody, and he's, he's been great, but well, I don't that understand. That may have happened. It, right, he's and just... I, I just I, – I struggle with why there's all of those bodies who we've projected to be – you know, firmly in the rotation, what are they doing? Like, why are they not rising up and, and seizing this job? That's a little bit worrisome in my mind. I, I agree. Cause it's, if it was just one, you know, then it was Hayden was a surprise, but then you're hearing some of those other names, but it's, it's concerning to me that there hasn't 
you know, it's five, six guys that haven't jumped up, especially at that corner spot where there was plenty of playing time to be had. Um, and maybe, I don't know, maybe Hayden is faster than we have given him credit for. And he is the only one that can keep up with Chris Jackson, who has by all reports been flying by everybody. Um, but it's, yeah, it is a very, a little bit concerning of just the lack of kind of reports at the cornerback position of who is coming out and really showing up to play across those multiple, um, you know, across multiple guys on both sides of the field. Right. But none of this matters if football doesn't happen. And football isn't happening in the Pac-12 or the Big Ten, which is crazy. Or the Mountain West. I mean, I kind of forget about the or Mountain the Mac. West. Or the Mac. It's or, crazy. Or at Old Dominion, canceled their season by themselves. They're in Conference USA. And then, I don't – I'm. let me look to see. I know I'm pretty sure every single FCS conference has canceled. It is just – what was the the Big South? Oh man, the Big South that canceled their conference season today said, "Hey, we're going to play our eight games or whatever it is in the spring." But if you can play four games against you know P fives or FBS schools, go do it. So it's like, hey, the virus is too scary. We're not going to deal with it. But yo, you got to get that money too. So if you want to go get pummeled by a P5 school, that's still fine. Like we're right. still okay with that. And it's, so, that just sucks. Like that shows exactly the dilemma that these schools are in. It just sucks. Right. And so there are um, – so FCS, there are the Ohio Valley Conference, the SOCON, the Southland are the only three leagues that are still playing. The Big Sky canceled, and like you said, they were trying to, they were going to let some people play. And then there are like five, four or five NAIA leagues that are playing. And there's a couple D2 conferences that are doing conference, some modified, you know, league, whatever. And then everyone else is saying we are canceled. So it is pretty much, I mean, because if you look at, okay, there's 130 FBS teams, there's like another 120 five FCS teams or something like that. But then you've still got all of D2, D3, the NAIA, and JUCO ball. Like there's pushing a thousand, over a thousand collegiate football programs in the country. And of that, there are like 80 left standing right now that are going to attempt to play. And BYU is one of them. It's so crazy. Now we're not going to get in. Well, maybe we will a little bit, but we're not doctors. Like we're not going to get into trying to tell you whether the virus is real, whether the virus is not. I have employees in my real life that they have had the virus and it's been brutal. I mean, they have absolutely struggled with it. Um, I've also, you know, those are the only few people that I know that have had it. And I, I feel like I know a lot of people. So, I mean, I, I could go either way. I'm not, we're not going to talk about that. But what's but crazy to me. Medically okay. though, that while well, we are not doctors and people disagree, it's like, Somehow in all of this, people have forgotten that different doctors have different medical opinions. And, you know, that's why, like, you go to a doctor for something, and then you go get a second opinion. And it doesn't always, the second opinion is always like, oh, you were misdiagnosed. It's, you know, a lot of times the second opinion is like, "Uh, yes, I see what they're saying, but I think we can maybe fix it with physical therapy. We don't need to jump to surgery quite yet. And that is, we see that as a completely normal and acceptable thing. We encourage it, frankly. Right, and we encourage it. But now there are 
you know, suddenly with this, it's like, oh, you know, people are jumping straight to, oh, well, it's just those doctors in the South are on the payroll of the SEC schools. So of course, they're going to say it's fine because they only care about money. It's like, no, well, like the demographics of that footprint are very different. The population density is very different than, you know, what you're looking at with the schools in the Pac-12. The, the Big Ten's the head scratcher for me, but it's like the Big 12 versus the Pac-12. It's like, okay, that makes sense of where they're at. There's nobody, you know, things are around. It's like, well, you got to look at, okay, what are the hospitals like near our schools? What are we going to be able to provide? What is currently going on in our area, you know, in terms of what is the overall risk? And, you know, maybe one doctor is a little more or a little less risk averse and says, you know, any nominal risk is a problem for us. But then other doctors say, no, I'm feel a little more pragmatic and say like, okay, well, what is the relative risk to we're going to have students on campus anyway. So in their situation, does football really add to that? Like, I mean, it's a bigger question if the doctor says, you know, we shouldn't be on campus at all, but if the kid's going to be in class, then what is the real difference? So it's, it's a lot more nuanced than this is what science says and everyone else who disagrees with you is wrong. That's not right, how right. any of this works. The notion, and I've seen this a few times, the notion of, well, Stanford's doctors said this, that's enough for me. Eh, well, Duke's doctors said this, and that's enough for them, right? Like Duke and Stanford are both premier schools. And so it's it, that comparison, you're absolutely right. That comparison isn't fair because there is a lot of relative information. Now, what I, what I do want, what I, I just don't understand is, okay, we said we're not, we said we're not going to talk about the medical stuff, but I guess we have to myocarditis like that's been the talking point of the week myocarditis in case you have not been paying attention is a heart condition that basically there after you have a virus like the flu like a cold like covid you could possibly develop myocarditis that is essentially inflammation in your heart wall and when your heart wall is inflamed if you have you know exert yourself too much again i'm not a doctor you participate in athletic activity in very serious and rare cases it can lead to death which is terrifying which is absolutely terrifying and so myocarditis has been linked i don't feel personally that there's been enough studies that you can say conclusively it is happening all the time but that isn't the point there have been studies that have linked myocarditis to covid that it's linked to all of these viruses but people who have COVID, whether they're symptomatic or asymptomatic, they are getting myocarditis at a higher rate than if they have the seasonal flu or just a cold. Fine. But this like, is detectable. Not... Yeah, is... right. So we're, we're going to say, okay, fine. Like myocarditis, well, I, I don't know the numbers, but let's just pretend you're 10 times more likely to develop this myocarditis if you have COVID than you are if you have the flu. I don't know if that's true. I don't don't care. That's not the point. The point is it's been linked. People are getting it more frequently. Okay, great, whatever. That has been this talking point among media members that because of myocarditis, we cannot play football. Myocarditis isn't new, folks. Myocarditis is something that we have known about for decades. It's detectable with a simple EKG. It's completely treatable. It goes away mostly on its own. The risk is if you don't know that you have it and then you overexert yourself, yes, significant risk with catastrophic consequences. But if you know you have it 
and it's, hey, we're just going to shut you down for a few months, you'll be fine. And you will be um, fine. And this is, so we haven't heard a lot about what different schools are doing in terms of their testing, you know, things. But this was put out by um, Charlotte, the 49ers, who in lowly Conference USA, making $400,000 a year off their TV deal. You know, this is the statement that they put out today around their COVID-19 protocol info. And this is what was started when athletes first got back to campus. So their medical staff were doing this from the beginning because it is known that this family of viruses, myocarditis, and knowing that all is like it's dealing with the lungs and the heart, whatever cardiovascular system, that that's what COVID attacks. They said, Charlotte implemented baseline EKG on all student athletes when they arrived on campus the first time in June. If anyone tested positive for COVID-19 and were asymptomatic, a follow-up EKG was administered and our sports cardiologists read that to make sure they had no underlying heart issues from the virus. If they were symptomatic, we had an EKG, echo, and blood work performed prior to returning to play. That, I, that's not that complicated. Well, and that isn't a new risk, right? Like, right. The, like a player could have had strep. And if they develop myocarditis, you're going to have to go through that same protocol. So I, none of this is to say, and this is the question, Garrett, you and I had this conversation a little bit earlier today. None of this is to say that these Pac-12 conferences, Big Ten conferences wrong for shutting down because of myocarditis. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I don't understand why all of a sudden myocarditis is the thing that shut them down. Because one, it's not a new thing. We've known how to do this. If they wanted to say, hey, COVID-19 is why we're shutting down because we don't know enough about it. We don't know long-term health stuff, blah, 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 blah. Fine. I Fine, right? I agree, disagree, whatever. I, I understand that thought process and I understand that logic. But a week ago, they released an updated schedule. A week ago, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten both said, we're playing, here's the schedule, here's how we're going to do it. And then this myocarditis thing come, comes up and they say, nope, we're shutting it down. Ah, well, what? No, like COVID is way scarier. Because they've right. been talking so, about the myocarditis thing for a while. It was just this sem like put together study, which it wasn't like a huge thing just because it's really hard. There is no huge study about COVID, right? Like it's any study that you see is like, oh, we had 75 patients that were in a hospital that we yeah, I, I think the, take a look the, at. There was a German study that everybody is referencing. I think that they studied 100 total people. Right. That's that's all that it was. And that is not I, I, the hypocrisy. I, I don't know. Is it hypocrisy or is it just a blatant lie? That is not why these conferences shut down. It isn't. It, it absolutely is not. No matter what anybody wants to tell you, that is not why these conferences shut down. Because COVID, at the time that they released a schedule and released their plan that, hey, we're going to play with COVID, 150,000 people in the country had died. And they said, yeah, we're fine with that. We're, we, we can figure it out. People, football players get hurt all the time. Like they have physical injuries on their knees and their legs. They have CTE. Like there have been, there's been suicide. I had a friend that I played with in high school who played at Cal after we graduated from high school and he died during a practice and of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy when, you know, running stairs in Cal Stadium and just collapsed dead because right. they didn't do thing and this is something that you and I talked about earlier it's like this myocarditis long-term heart problems have been a known like possible thing with COVID for a long like basically the entire time because you know like oh we know it's a coronavirus this type of family it the family of viruses this is where it attacks this is kind of generally what it does you know severity 
you know, which of the 25 different symptoms it actually presents itself in, how long-term is it? You know, I question when people are like, oh, it leaves permanent damage. You know, it's been two months. You don't know if it's permanent. Yeah, we have no idea what's permanent. Like, it's okay to say we don't know what we don't know, so we need to be more conservative and sit in a holding pattern. That is okay. It's also okay to say, well, we don't know what we don't know, but based on X, Y, and Z, I think we can probably safely infer that it's going to be closer to, you know, a than right. it is to be. We can, right. That's also fair to say, you know, it just whatever someone's risk adverseness, that makes sense. But, you know, going into this, it's like, I think hopefully out of this, and I would not be surprised if the SEC leads this front because they have the most money to burn in their pocket to say, I mean, if Charlotte, you know, this tiny school program who has only been in existence for 2013 was their first season ever that they had a football team is saying, we got every student in EKG when they walk through the door. We're taking, you know, why is it not that NCAA players are getting, at least in the P5, you know, getting yeah, physicals takes- to the level of what NFL things are in, where it's like, you're getting a CAT scan. We're checking for brain issues. You're getting an EKG. You're getting an echo. Like, we are doing this as a baseline when you step foot into our program, and we're going to monitor your health regularly because we understand that this is a very dangerous sport, and we're, like, Yes, we should have, you know, say we should have been doing this previously, but we are committed now, you know, and COVID has made us realize that we are wanting to like provide better medical treatment, assessment and monitoring for our student athletes across the board. And, you know, we will be tracking this in that, you know, it is, you know, it is what it is. And like, that's what we're going to do. And so it's, I with you on the myocarditis, I think the PAC 12 had other issues because of the politics because the schools in California couldn't even do anything. And so same with right. the mountain West, the mountain West, I mean, has what three schools in California right. and they, I mean, they like Chip Kelly was saying they can't even pick up. They're not even allowed to get together in their weight room. And so it's like, you have some schools that are about to put pads on and others can't been able to lift for the last three months. And That's I, a I, for disaster. I wish that was the talking point because right now it's myocarditis and it's being, it's being spun in this way that, well, we're the, we're the ones who are caring about keeping people safe. That's why we're shutting down. Those people in the South that don't understand medical science, they're risking lives. Okay, lives are being risked either way, but myocarditis is not any, that, that is not why these teams shut down. In my opinion, and this is my opinion and my opinion alone, it is exactly what you just said. I don't think the Pac-12, and I don't think the Big Ten, I don't think the Mountain West, I don't think that those conferences wanted to deal with the argument from their schools that they were at a competitive disadvantage. Utah was going to be able to start contact practice today. They could have hit, they could have prepared, almost as if nothing was was any different, right? Wear a mask, have some, some testing protocols, but they're practicing football as if everything is just fine. At USC, UCLA, Stanford, Cal, they're still not even playing catch. They're still not even able to put on pads. And yet they were all supposed to start football on September 26th. That is why I think these schools, or these conferences rather, shut it down. It's because they knew that USC would say no. Uh, No, no, no. Utah is... They are, they are getting advantages that we don't have. They are having opportunities that we don't have. That's not fair. And I think that the potential for infighting within their own conference because of the competitive aspect of college football is why those conferences said, 
yeah, we're going to back off and just cancel it. Hey, look, this heart thing came up at a good time that we could start, we, we could, this is why we're canceling it. Like the way that the media works, like the media doesn't just like come across this news for, of myocarditis and hear about a call between doctors and the Pac-12 in passing, right? Like information like that is leaked. And the fact that it was leaked and then 24 hours is when the Big Ten and the Pac-12 canceled, that tells me that that is, that is the PR spin job that the Pac-12 did. That they, they, they knew that this was happening today, the practices were supposed to start. And rather than addressing that, they said, hey, media, myocarditis is what's happening. Everybody ran with that. Everybody started to look at that. You're seeing articles today. Bill Plaschke, I think he writes for the LA Times. still around. He, he wrote an article today. He just got over COVID. COVID sucks. Everybody knows that COVID sucks. And he wrote an article today saying that COVID doesn't just suck. It should shut everything down. And if you're not shutting it down, then you're ignoring COVID. I mean, the, it's being pinned as if the only right decision is to shut it down. And I think that's exactly what these conferences want this want that media story to be when in reality i think it has more to do with the competitive nature of football and that their teams were going to be at different levels because of state law of local even county law and because of that they shut it down that's my take that's my opinion and only my opinion it's not based on anything other than i know how these stories get out from these schools and conferences and big entities like that i i know how the media game works enough to know that that's how it works right and so in my mind when i when i see this play out the way that it has played out this week i think that's what's happening i think that's it and I, I agree with you i i mean that explains the pac-12 i don't quite know i don't understand what's going on with the big 10 and they've had their own set of problems where you have multiple schools saying well you canceled our conference game but you can't stop us from playing non-conference See, games. I, I think and the they're big exploring 10. that in the big 10 so the pac-12 at least they came together and gave a united front of what they were doing you know right. you got the now you have nebraska twitter blowing up all day they were nebraska's like you know they're finally opening and admitting openly admitting that they screwed up a decade ago and should have never left the big 12 but <laughs> they you know they're saying well maybe we won't go and now you have the big 10 commissioner saying if nebraska goes out and plays their own schedule, they will no longer, they will not remain a member of the Big Ten Conference, which I would love nothing better than for Nebraska to leave, go back to the Big 12, and now the Big Ten is stuck with 13 teams wondering why the hell they're paying Maryland and Rutgers for games to have access to the D.C. and Philadelphia markets that nobody cares about either of those schools there. (laughs) It's like, I I don't quite understand what is kind of what the logic is there versus like, I understand the PAC 12 because of the disparity, but it's kind of, everything has been a little more uniform in the big 10 and the schools were very vocal about it, that they were not happy with the decision. And you even had, you know, they said it was a unanimous decision by the university presidents, but you had official athletics accounts saying we are not happy with this and this is not what we wanted. And this is not like we've spoken with our doctors and this is what we don't feel like. We don't feel this is right. So So it's, in it's my mind, it's, it's the same argument. So they, the, the Big Ten has been a little bit more universal in terms of their state governments in the geographical area of the Big Ten, I think, are, are closer to the same page than, say, you know, Utah and California are for the Pac-12. But Michigan State has had some outbreaks, and so they've had to shut things down. 
Northwestern has had an outbreak, has had to shut things down. Indiana has had an outbreak, has had to shut things down. I think that there have been more outbreaks on those individual teams. And so within the Big Ten, I think that there are teams that are not, I mean, even just two, three weeks, but still two or three weeks in college football in, in terms of preparation, that's a lot of time. And I think that there were enough teams that had outbreaks and had to shut things down compared to the you know, Wisconsin that didn't have to, Ohio State that didn't have to. I think that's where it came from, frankly. I, I mean, like I say, I don't know. But in my mind, nothing tangibly was different about the virus today or yesterday when all this news came out compared to a week ago when they released their schedule. So the only thing in my mind that makes this make sense is that the thing that changed is the infighting started to happen because contact practices were coming up and Ohio State was getting ready to put on helmets and pads and Northwestern was still quarantining. That's the only thing that makes sense in my head. I don't know if that's the case, but that's that I, I can understand that logic that that is a that is a thought process these conference commissioners had to go through. If I if the story that I'm supposed to believe is that the Stanford doctors learned in the last six days that myocarditis was an issue, well, then I just lost a lot of faith in the, the Stanford doctors because we've been yeah, talking about this stuff for a long time. And as soon as they said coronavirus, not even COVID-19, they should have known respiratory illness, this is something that could happen because it happens with every other respiratory illness. So I, I just, I refuse to believe that was new information to anybody. It just, that does not add up. Agreed. So, and I think that leads us into what everyone else is doing. So the Big 12, they're saying full steam ahead with what they are doing. They've released their conference schedule today. Uh, BYU is not part of that, sadly. Um, they were not able to lock down a game. Um, they, you know, the Sun Belt is there trying to play there they I think they were going to do eight and two try to do 10 games um the american has said no we are monitoring this closely and i think i think michael resco has done a great job with the american overall and it is a well-run conference and it is by far the best g5 conference and they are i mean last year if you look at the massey composite ratings they actually finished higher than the acc so they've been running with that p6 mantra the last few years and they've been trying to put their money where their mouth is and you know, they have the biggest G5 TV deal. Um, you know, they have a future, they have good programs, but, you know, they're saying we are one of the big boys and we feel like we can continue to play. And what was smart with the rest is he said, we don't need to make this decision right now because, you know, it's like they can continue practicing. And if they decide, you know, something, if they've been practicing on campus for a month and a half and everything has been fine, especially if you're the AAC where you got two schools in Florida, then and a bunch of schools in Texas, then if you've been able to do that for the last month and a half, then say, okay, you don't need to make that decision right now. There is time, you know, to wait and see what happens. And I think they, in the SEC has done the same thing. Greg Sankey has done the same thing saying, you know, we don't need our doctors say monitor it, put things in place. And even you had people out of the big 10, like Jim Harbaugh came out and said, we have put in good things in place. And this is like, we have put things in place to where our athletes are safe here and they feel safe and they want to play. So it's ultimately it's, it depends on to me what the athletes want to educate them, let them know the risks, give them the opportunity to opt out and say, give them a 
opportunity to transfer if they opt out because there may be a situation where they are treated differently or get you know they are ostracized from the program or you know for being a wuss or whatever if they don't feel comfortable so give them a chance to transfer if they opt out hell even give them a fifth year of eligibility if they decide to opt out so you can trade sure. one year for sitting out for covid for two years of playing so make it an incentive where they will get more time playing college football if they choose not to play so then it's by that point is basically they are opting in to playing and let the players decide what they want to do. We talk about the risk and the player safety, but until Sunday night when Trevor Lawrence sent out a tweet, nobody cared at all about if the players actually wanted to play. It was, Oh, you know, everyone's talking about player safety and how we can't let them play. We can't let them play, but nobody wanted to let them make that decision for themselves. And that I have a problem with that. And, you know, I think, you know, Obviously, there was the whole started with the Pac-12 of like with the demands that they wanted, some of which were very valid. Some of them were very laughable, like wanting a 50% rev share for the football team. And, you know, it, um, you know, there are a lot of things obviously that need to change within the NCAA structure. But it is kind of bizarre to me that it wasn't until Sunday night that anyone cared what the players had to feel because they're reading the same news we are. They understand, like, they're reading the same things. They're talking to the same people. They're seeing the same thing on social media, same headlines, whatever, about COVID, the risks associated with it. it and, and I got a hunch they know more than we do. Like, they, they have had, like, actual talks from doctors as they're having these tests. I would be willing to bet that the average person who just is reading the news, like you and I are, Garrett, knows less about COVID than a player who's had to be tested multiple times in the last few weeks, who's had a doctor, who's had a team physician, whatever it is, telling them all of the different risks. They're not just getting what the media is reporting. Like they're getting it straight from medical resources. I would be willing to bet those players have had more access to information than the general populace has. I think that's probably a fair assessment as well. Um, But I mean, it's, I think probably the most interesting story other than, to see what happens long-term if three of the five power conferences play and two sit at home, what is going to be the long-term fallout of that on the Pac-12? And if there was big infighting because of this, you know, and whatever they said, okay, we're going to say it's unanimous, whether it was or not, whatever, that, you know, what that fallout is in the Pac-12 and in the Big Ten, because obviously Nebraska is very not happy there. And And Ohio State, man, Ryan Day, like Nebraska's taking all the headlines. But Ryan Day, he even referenced Nebraska in his quote today when he said, we have some of the exact same questions that Nebraska has. That's Ohio State. Like, they're not happy about this either. No. It was it's like a, Ohio State, Penn State. It was Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, and Iowa, and Nebraska. All made – their coaches made very public things about how they were not happy about what happened and their athletic directors were not happy. So there is a lot of friction there and a lot of problems. But – I think the biggest thing is, you know, we kind of talked about this a few weeks ago, leaning into like, is this going to eventually spring the inevitable split between P5 and G5 and making a new division? Is this going to like, where can the American conference, if they manage to play a 12 game schedule, even if they don't get many P5 games, because there's only 25 to go around of P5 out of conference games right now, you know, and so even though they're playing, you know, the Sun Belt and Conference USA, if those schools manage to get through a season without players, you know, major players like 
you know, things happening, major breakouts, whatever, and they say, we have a protocol in place, we are on board, we are working on this, then what is going to happen to the Mac? I think the Mac may very well be, may very well be dead and not play FBS football anymore. They, there are multiple schools in the MAC where the university itself is on the verge of bankruptcy, not just their athletic department. The, right. you know, and what I was looking and reading, you know, into the American, and they had someone saying like, you know, the MAC is so poor that they can't afford the testing protocols. The American has enough money to afford the testing protocols, but they are not the Big Ten where they can afford to not play, and so that they're kind of in that middle. So that they can push forward, can they solidify themselves legitimately as? p6 because they say you know we kept up with the you know we put things in place and we were able to run our programs in a way that was safe for our players amid this when those p5 programs couldn't but we can we take care of our players we'll find a way to you know can they take that next jump because i think they have ever i mean espn's going to need content if you know conference usa the sunbelt the american come and say hey you need games you lost a lot of primetime games we are footing the bill for this like we want extra rights fees for the season to give you content. And we're going to renegotiate for the season because we want new things coming into our program. We need more money. We want new facilities. We're going to foot, you know, we're going to have a, you know, need it's, a million dollars for testing. Right. It's like fascinating all this. what this could do, because what it could do is it really, it could level the, the, the playing field. You're doing an excellent job of describing what this does for the lower level schools, but how bad does this piss off Ohio state? I mean, Ohio State and Alabama and Clemson, they are peers, right, in every sense of the word. How much does a year of not playing, a year of lost revenue, maybe Ohio State isn't impacted that much. Ohio State can still be the Ohio State of today. But Alabama – Michigan State can't, though. Michigan State can't, no. But Alabama just gets that much further ahead. And even if it's just one year – I'm holding my hands up in the Zoom screen, like people can see this. But even if – it's just one increment higher that, than, that Alabama is compared to Ohio State or Michigan or whatever. That's one increment. And for decades, they've been peers. And now there's a little bit of a division. And so what I wonder is, yeah, and, and you, you hit the nail on the head, Wisconsin that has been very public about, hey, we're going to lose $100 million. Wisconsin's great. Wisconsin's had a heck of a run the last decade. Wisconsin is not Ohio State. Like Camp Randall is not the horseshoe. They don't have that same kind of respect at a national level. They have never been to the college football playoff. It's a very different – Ohio State and Wisconsin, while they may be in the Big Ten, are two very different programs. What does this do to those programs? Do they start to come back down to earth? Nebraska, are they pissed off enough to really leave the Big Ten? And if they leave the Big Ten – do they leave because they're so mad at the Big Ten and our friends in the Big 12 would have never done this to us? Or do they leave the Big Ten and they say, you know, we left the Big 12 for a reason. Now we're leaving the Big Ten. I'm tired of people telling us what to do. We're going to do what we want. Does this create some more independence? Does Penn State, who's pissed off, go back to independence? They were an independent at one point. They, they have the national prominence that they could go out and get their own TV deal. I think Nebraska could go out and get a very lucrative TV deal. Is it the $40 million of the Big Ten? I don't know. But they could go out and get a really good P- TV deal and be able to do exactly what they want to do when they want to do it. 
and then you take the American and exactly what you just described of of them being able to say, hey, we did something that these P5 schools over there, they could not do. I am really curious to see what this does to the playbook of college football. We, we say P5, but 10 years ago, they weren't called P5. That was a new phrase. They were called AQs and non-AQs. Could it be that 10 years from now, we're not even talking about P5s anymore? Like We're talking about a whole different era of college football that was sparked by this week of decision-making. Well, and it could be from this week, and TV really is the reason, even like you said, you know, Penn State used to be an independent. South Carolina and Arkansas, they used to be independents. The entire Big East football conference, those were all independent schools that said, oh, we want to get together because we want a TV deal and to collectively bargain a TV deal. So they formed the Big East. All And then the rest of kind of the little lower tier of, or more middle tier of those, that was the original Conference USA. You know, when you had Houston, um, when you had Houston, Rice, and TCU get left out after the SWAC, or the Southwest Conference fell apart. And then, you know, with the Cincinnati's and the ECU's and the Tulsa's, you know, those schools, they formed Conference, well, I guess Tulsa was in the WAC till 2005, but they formed Conference USA, the bulk of what is the American now. And those schools were all independents. If you look at the standings in the 80s, there were 25 independent teams every year. Right. Because football, unlike basketball, where you're not playing two games a week and you travel partners and you have tournament things, football makes sense to be an independent. And, you know, you don't, and especially, and right now, BYU is in the awkward spot where Notre Dame gets, you know, kind of grandfathered in, but BYU doesn't in terms of clear access to the New Year's Six, whatever. I think there is a chance that, you know, more and more teams, so obviously Texas has, I think the bigger schools are going to be tired of bankrolling the smaller schools, especially when it becomes more and more clear of we can do this on our own. And, you know, especially like if you're Texas, okay, Texas and Oklahoma, that accounts for, okay, there's 10 teams in the big 12 right now. Texas and Oklahoma probably accounts for what, maybe 40, 45% of their brand value. So if you're saying you're paying out 35 to us now, but you know, Texas can get 35 on their own or maybe 30 on their own, but only do, you know, they can be 100% in charge and it's easy to stream and get your own access and work out a deal with the SP. I mean, they have the Longhorn network, throw on the Sooner network and whatever. So if you have Texas and Oklahoma leave the big 12, USC says, you know what, we are done in the big, in the PAC 12. And then Oregon is right behind them. Maybe Washington also has a brand where they can do it. Those three, you have Nebraska, and Penn State decide they're done. Even maybe Ohio State is, decides they're done. So you have these big schools kind of leaving that. And now you've got a solid group of 10 major programs that are independents. Now, at that point, the SEC would push and kind of lead the charge for, okay, well, we want to reform the New Year Six because we've only been getting two spots and we think we are better and we can get four or whatever of you know those new year's exam because we are the best and so you have these major major powers pushing and you know really to where it's like okay you better agree and get on board with this because this is how it's going to work and we want to open everything up to where there's not as many qualifiers like which the best teams are going to get in we're tired of doing this qualifier game the best is like the best team's going to get in and if you don't get on board with this we're just going to go off and do our own thing now i'll see basketball is the big issue with that because there are not as competitive leagues but you could throw basketball in. You could throw basketball anywhere and make it competitive. I mean, look at look at the WCC. Like they were Gonzaga and nothing. And look, 
like they were competitive this year. Like even I mean B- BYU, St. Mary's, they were good. Gonzaga's Gonzaga. They're better than they were. And you look at you know teams like Portland. I mean, you can elevate a basketball conference. It's this true. is something. This is something that we've talked about since BYU went independent. I think what changes, and really what we've seen this week, is we we've talked about the bigger programs being tired of subsidizing and bankrolling the smaller schools, and that I think they always have been. But this is the first time I think that we have seen the a situation where the smaller schools of a conference, where the Rutgers, Maryland, Indiana, Northwesterns of the Big Ten bonded together, and they voted not to play. And the big, the big programs didn't get their way. And not only did they not get their way, so now in, not only is the, the Ohio State bankrolling these programs on a good year, when it's a bad year, now these small programs are costing. Ohio State money. They are preventing Ohio State from making any money. They already have to share the money that they know that they're generating way more than what they're actually getting, but now they're not even getting that agreed upon part because these nine schools in the Big Ten didn't want to play when we felt like we could have. I think that's a new dynamic that we've never seen before that changes the way that these big schools look at conferences. It really is, and if you look at I mean, from a purely a business perspective, you're Wisconsin or Nebraska saying we are going to lose $100 million. Or Mark Harlan, the athletic director at Utah, said they're going to lose between 50 and $60 million this year. If you are Nebraska and you can say, hey, we want, we want to go back to the Big 12 because we want to get out of this. Like, we want to come back to the Big 12. We want to get something together. I know it's shotgun. We will work it out later. We'll play you as a non-conference thing, you know, with a good faith agreement that we're going to do it next year, whatever, you know. Even if you take the pay cut from what the Big Ten is saying, if the Big 12 says, hey, we're one of the only, you don't have Big Ten content, we want a little bit more this year, whatever, and then, you know, you get some type of separation or, you know, Nebraska takes the Big Ten to court and says, you know, they didn't let us play, whatever, figure it out. If you can spread that $100 million loss instead of being in one year, can cut that down to, oh, we got our Big 12 contract and so we're only getting you know, we're trading $100 million less in in not losing $100 million in 2020 for we are getting $8 million less a season in TV deals for the next decade from the Big 12. You take that every time. Like, you don't want, it's never good to cut revenues to zero in a single year. Right. You know, you, a lot of people, I've I've had a pay cut during COVID, you know, we've had a wage reduction and it's going to get paid back, whatever. It's like, if you, it's much better to have a 15% pay cut than a hundred percent pay cut. Yeah. Without question. You can make that work. And so it's, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what happens with that and how that looks. And I'm, I'm ready for, I'm ready for some realignment to happen. I'm ready for chaos. Dude, I've been, I've been wanting chaos all week long. That's, that's my calling card now. So we've talked a little bit about what is not happening in the PAC 12 and the big 10. We've talked about what is happening in the Big 12, the SEC, and the ACC. Now let's talk about BYU. What what are they doing? What do we think they should do? One thing that I heard about BYU um, that I thought was really interesting is they look at the virus. I think that they may have more access to medical information than what some of these other conferences do. No, BYU is not a medical school like you know the University of Utah or Stanford or whatever. 
but the church has been making individual policy decisions for countries everywhere based on the intelligence that those countries have, based on the medical opinions that those countries and their governments have. There's no reason that that information has not been facilitated, facilitated down to BYU. And I heard that this morning, that when, the, when BYU and the church has looked at the ramifications of the virus and how it could potentially impact their school, they're able to look at what the virus has done everywhere. So we know that there's a political bias, you know, one way or the other with just about every news source that you see here in the United States. And maybe that's the same way with the doctors, depending on what area of the country they come from. But BYU has been able, or at least the church, has been able to cut through that by getting opinions from doctors outside of the United States. Jeff, are you telling me that the chairman of the board of trustees at BYU is somebody who both in their professional life would be very familiar with myocarditis as well as the general belief of the body of the church and the school believes to have frequent direct communication with God? And <laughs> I, mean, I mean, yes, I'm saying that. That's what I'm saying. But no, I mean, even if we take out the fact that President Nelson is a heart surgeon, where is BYU getting the information uh, to decide whether or not they should open up the church buildings in Spain? Well, I can tell you he's not getting it from Stanford's doctors. He's not getting it from Duke's doctors. Right. They're getting it from some doctor somewhere in Spain and in Japan and in China and in wherever the church exists, which is crazy to think about. I, I don't think we've thought about it. We haven't really talked about that. But I think that's really interesting that BYU has all of that information, even ignoring that there is, you know, we're BYU fans, we're largely members of the church, we believe that there is a direct communication, take all of that stuff off the table. BYU has a ton of information at their disposal from a ton of different places, and I think that's unique in this decision-making process. So when I think of what should BYU do, I think BYU should do exactly what BYU is doing of let this play out. Right now, BYU's players are safe. Uh, there have been people who have tested positive, whether they've gotten it outside of BYU or inside of BYU. They don't know. Nobody really knows. Nobody ever will know. But since they have all been back on campus and have all been in, in, in that, you know, quote unquote practice bubble, as far as we know, there have not been any COVID-related shutdowns of individual players. Certainly hasn't been any of the team as a whole, which leads me to believe that nobody has tested positive. Now, I also have been told that BYU, who is not known for unnecessary spending, has spared zero expense in terms of their testing protocols. Uh, they have the ability and the funding to do just about whatever they need to do. So if that's finding a lab partner so that they can get testing results faster, they can do that. If it is teaming up with the clinic so that they can have EKGs every day and echoes on everybody who tests positive, they can do that and they can do that really quickly. And I have been told that they have spared no expense, that they have one of the strictest testing protocols of anybody that, that they're aware of, and that things have gone relatively well. So what should BYU do? BYU should 
continue forward as they are and be ready to be flexible. There might come a time that they have to pull the plug and shut down on a whim. That's going to suck. Do a blue and white game on BYU TV. If you are committed, be committed. There you go. We could do that. If they they have to pull the plug and a season's not going to happen, they're more than willing to do that if they feel like they need to do that. But there's no need to make that decision on August 12th. The players within the practice bubble that they have right now are safe. They have proven that they are safe. So continue forward and try to make the best schedule that you can, which is proving to be a challenge. Um, I don't know that there's going to be a P5 component. I mean, Clemson still has an open date, and so does Notre Dame. So maybe that happens. I mean, I have not heard anything that that's going to happen. But why hasn't Clemson found an opponent for their opening non-conference game on September 19th? They could have. They could have had Charlotte. They could have had anybody. I know but Charlotte they don't tried. have anybody. Charlotte did try. They were in well, talks that, with Clemson. But they did. They actually um, – let me – they landed – uh, to they got UNC and Duke already that they managed so to land out of the ACC. whatever. I know that Clemson still has an open day, and BYU still has a whole bunch of open days. We've heard names. Um, I mean, we've said names on this podcast, but I, I, I think at this point, I, I don't think anything we've been told or anything that we've talked about has been wrong, but I think that there are – so many different scenarios right now that nobody knows which one is going to happen and which one is not going to happen. So because of that, I don't think it's really worthwhile to con- to speculate on who the names might be because right now, literally anybody who has an open date and we just learned of all of the schools that have confirmed that they're playing in the last 24 hours, anybody who has an open date is a potential partner for BYU to find on their schedule. And it's, I think, you know, I, I tweeted out last week, I went through and kind of scrubbed some things and I strictly looked at G5 that were playing. I completely wrote off all P5 and there are, you know, there still are some good games. Like there's a date that matches up with Cincinnati. You know, there's dates with Memphis, there's date with UCF, there's Army, uh, Liberty. You know, there are, we can cobble together a solid, respectable eight-game schedule. You know, it's not ideal, but I think we do give, and you mentioned this on the board, we do give some West Coast bias and really, like, is there a difference between playing Fresno State or San Diego State and playing, you know, Tulane or Tulsa? No. Like, that is – and so it's in terms of what you're getting, you're getting a respectable, middle-of-the-road G5 team. Nothing wrong with that. If that's what we can get this year and we sprinkle in, you know, yes, we're not playing the six P5 teams in Boise that we were projecting, but, oh, that's something we missed over. This is, this might wreck the blue turf magic going on in Boise oh, that they've had man. for 20 years. That's going to have really to be a whole could. other episode next week. That, but, that needs to be a podcast on its own. Like, let's but, talk about the death of the blue. So, you know, if you're saying, okay, well, we can sprinkle that in and it's, you know, yes, we're not getting Michigan State and, you know, Mizzou, whatever, but we got Navy. That's a solid game. We get SMU is one of the most fun teams in the country to watch last year. You can squeeze UCF, who's been the most, you know, who's been the G5, you know, Madonna, whatever, for the last few years. And you get Cincinnati has been a great program since Luke. Madonna. 
the prima donna. That's what I meant. <laughs> the, I was Madonna. I mean, we're not we're not old the, enough to be making Madonna right. references. No, I'm, on this I'm prima donna. Sorry, it's eleven yeah, o'clock okay. tonight. Um, <laughs> you know the so it's the you know if you can get the top end of the AAC, which they would they want that game because they want to go out and they want to play BYU because it is a brand building game and that's what they want to do and they want to their entire conference has the attitude of want to play anybody anytime anywhere and so if you can get the top half of those get that first game BYU's never played Army go get that Army game you got the Navy game you get SMU Cincy Memphis UCF Tulsa ECU and you know there is you know maybe out of the Sun Belt you get Louisiana Troy App State one of those teams and then fill it out with you know an FIU or an FAU you know, Charlotte, please, I would love that to happen. You know, that's a, that's a, not a bad schedule. It is especially, um, you know, especially with the, you know, everything that's going on, if you can throw that schedule together in a few weeks and make it happen and you get some intriguing games, you know, it's not, sorry. That's North a Alabama. home run. Right. That's, like, a, yes, home that's run. a home run. And the, it's, the, the scale has changed and that's what the, it's about, we've talked about this a, a, a lot, you know, ad nauseum. It's about survival, right? It's about survival. It's about collect as much money as you possibly can because there's some teams collecting zero and they can think they're playing in the spring. We didn't even talk about how that isn't going to happen because it's logistically impossible. So collect that gets, it's survival. That's what it is. And the idea of the statuses that we think we know I think that's what is being, you know, under talked about, undercovered, is that we don't know what those statuses are in a year. This changes the Mountain West Conference. If the Mountain West Conference misses a whole year of revenue, Boise State is no longer the premier premier G five program. Sorry, they're not. No. They will lose enough footing that they will fall behind Tulane, and suddenly we're looking at Tulane as I would rather play Tulane than Boise State. Who knows what this program does to Utah State or what, 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 what this could do to a program like Utah State? Who knows what this is going to do to Wyoming, to Fresno, to San Diego State? Like San Diego State, if, if they lose out on this whole year and California needs to help start bailing out their schools, there's a heck of a lot of schools that the state of California has to bail out. It's not just USC, UCLA, Cal, Stanford, and San Diego State. There are and they're not going to bail out the athletics schools. departments. They're going to focus on right. the classroom first. Exactly. They've already proven that they have no problem saying, "Hey, guys, sports are last. Let's shut down." So the whole scale and the hierarchy that we think we understand of these are the games that are good and these are the games that are bad. I think that gets thrown out the window entirely right now it is about surviving collecting as much money as you can so that you have a spot in the room not even at the table in the room in a post-covid world because post-covid who knows what this is going to look like it really is going to be different i mean that is you know if if these schools start to start or start to try and play and they get into the first week of october and they have to shut everything down because it doesn't work then it's not going to change that much. But if these schools get through a full season and there are some conferences who don't play at all, everything we think we know about college football is different in 12 months. And I think that is 
a great note to finish on, you know, jumping off into the unknown in terms of what we think should happen. Listen to the doctors, listen to the players, let people understand the risk and let people decide, you know, let people decide what they want to do and what they feel comfortable with and what the increase in their risk is by playing versus not playing in reality to whatever else is going on around them. And, you know, it's, there will be many things written about quarantine and COVID in general, but I am most interested to see looking back how this permanently, permanently changes the house of cards that is completely financed by debt and subsidies. That is the NCAA and all of their constituent programs. They just, everybody just needs to give COVID hell. That's what really everybody needs to do. Give COVID hell, Jeff, give it hell. You too.